There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Did that sound automated? Um, that just sounds like you literally couldn't give a shit. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't what I was going for by the way oh. at all i was going for you know how we say it in the intro welcome to the hiv podcast oh Didn't come off like that no no it just sounded like you'd just rather not be here oh that's not true where else would i want to be oh exactly sat on the floor in my bedroom recording a podcast are you on the floor are you, where do you think i always record on the floor did you not know that no, I just thought you had really high chest of drawers behind, like massive. <laughs> in this room, I can get away from the dogs more easily and the Wi-Fi is okay and it's the back of the house so they don't bark as much. I sit on the floor. I find it much more comfortable. I, I really find a chair fidgety. I know I fidget on the floor as well. But... Oh, you see, I'm on a chair. I've got the window. So I, I know my eyes look out of the window because I like the little neighbourhood. Oh. oh, there's your dogs now. Yeah, that is my dogs. Just because the postman just came over and um, oh. riled them up while they tried to nibble his fingers as he posts the letters through the door. Oh my god, did they do that then? Try and bite yes. Him? And Rita, what a little rat bag! I love her very much. Obviously, she has taught Jimbo to stand on his back legs and like dance on two legs. So they both, when the postman comes, they both dance around on their back legs so they can reach the letterbox, and they're there like. Bah, 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 bah trying to get the fingers oh my god we're gonna have to we're getting a cage to put around it because normally mm. if they come and knock at the door i actually open the window instead of the front door because it's just easier but yeah it's i'll try to get a, a video of it because it's if if it had salsa music to it it would look amazing because they're both <laughs> on like two back legs just like dancing around but um i'm sure the postman doesn't find it that amused no oh you're probably his most stressful delivery oh poor every day psyching himself up to walk down your path Oh, do you know, I don't think that's true. My neighbour has two bull mastiffs. 
Oh, are they barky as well? Oh, yes, they are. So the reason the dogs just started barking then is because the neighbour's dog started barking. So all of our houses down here all have dogs. So I don't know if I'm the most hated one. I don't know if my dogs have probably learned the most to be able to get to the letterbox or not, if they're the most wily, let's say, trying to get those fingers. But yeah. Wow. Anyway. Just get a cat is so much easier. Oh, do you know what? I do think Rita would love a cat. I think she'd love a little snuggle, buddy. Yeah, no, just get a... My cat, I mean, she's obviously not chasing postmen or anything like that. Just leaves little little deliveries on our drive. Little tiny, tiny mice. Like, oh. I, I, well, I, like field mice, I guess they must be. They're so cute. If I can rescue them and bring them back to life, I do. But I know I'm not always quick enough. Do you know what, right? Talking about deliveries, I had a delivery man turn up the other day and uh, obviously he handed over the parcel, you know, have to smile and they take a picture of you and then he said to me he said uh, is that your is that your mouse on the driveway <laughs> it's like well it's a mouse it's not mine but thanks what do you think no i haven't just left it there for later <laughs> yeah or maybe he thought it was like a pet or something and he was like oh is that is that yours i mean technically it was half a mouse so even worse but there you oh, go oh no oh oh bless gracie she thinks she's like bringing you gifts because she has such a lovely because you rescued her didn't you well she was a neighbours and um, for whatever reason she didn't like living there so she came to live with us and she, yeah in the beginning she bought us many gifts now she's a bit more relaxed just leaves them on the drive oh bless her you know the way you said that sounded like you just stole her from your neighbour well she used to live a couple <laughs> of doors down but now she lives here <laughs> like, okay Sarah did well, obviously get permission from the owner. I used to have to take her back to our neighbours. So she used to sleep in our garden and never go home. And, you know, I had to put a thing through everybody's letterbox saying, is this your cat? Yes. And she, do you remember? And then yeah. she kind of phoned me at work and said, yeah, it's my cat. And I was just like, great. Do you want her? Because she's in my garden all the time. Anyway, it didn't having, work out. She, yeah. She was having a horrible time as in with the other cats in the home, wasn't she? She was getting a bit bullied. I think she was. Yes. So now, um, you know, we don't, she's our only cat. So she just rules, rules the house. Oh, bless her. There we go. There's a little his- There's a little um, backstory of our rescue pets, everyone. <laughs> is anyone out there? I'm so sorry. This, this is the HIV oh, podcast. You are in the right place. Like, I don't know. Now it's just me and Sarah having a chat. It really is. I feel it's the riveting content everybody wants to listen to. <laughs> I probably should do something. Should we do something HIV related? Shall we? Should we should we get on with it? People are like, oh god. I have some podcasts, you know, where at the start they always have a chat. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really guilty of I speed it on. I'm like, no, no thanks. Get on with the content, guys. Wonder if anyone's listened to this. Hashtag GP, because that's I know that's nothing to do with this. But hashtag GP if you listen to this first bit. Just let us know. Okay. Yes. That's how we'll test our audience. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's start. Do you know what? This week, I don't know if, if I've even told you what we're doing, but this is going to be like therapy for me. Oh, We're going back. We're going back to the 80s. Of course we are. <laughs> we're going back to the ad- the adverts that were launched in the 80s by Norman Fowler and the government, the Don't Die of Ignorance adverts. Oh. You know, the tombstone, iceberg. You know how much I hate them. Yeah. And I think I begrudgingly acknowledge they did do their job. But this podcast episode is about helping me come to terms with the fact that they're there, they were done, they did a good job, and I just need to move on. Everything you said there is true. So tell yourself. Yeah. And all of you lot are going to help me get through this. Okay. So appreciate there are some people listening that are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so can we play the clip or are we not allowed to? 
We can't play the clip just because it's very complicated. On, I, I just don't want to use it and then find out that we actually didn't get the right. I, you know, ugh, it's complicated. So I have it. <laughs> I have, I have what it said. Okay, so you've got the text from the adverts, and you're going to read it out in the voice of John Hurt, who did them. <laughs> I thought about that. I'm like, I don't think I could. What a voice he has! Amazing, amazing voice. But let, let's hear the text uh, and then we'll all know what we're talking about with these adverts. Well, I had a think about this, Sarah. I am going to read it. Don't worry. But in the interest of helping you get over this, because we all have that John Hurt voice in our head. And for those of you that don't know and haven't seen it, as always, we will put a link so that you can go and watch it on YouTube so you will know what we mean. Because it was all very dramatic. But in the interest of helping you get over this, I thought I would read it slightly differently. Because I thought maybe it's all about like the inflection of the voice and how you say it. Maybe I could make you feel differently. You feel slightly less, you know, stressed about it. Go on then. (laughs) There's no danger. It's become a threat to us all. It's a deadly disease and there's no known cure. The virus can be passed during sexual intercourse with an infected person. Anyone can get it, man or woman. So far, it's been confined to small groups, but it's spreading. So protect yourself and read this leaflet when it arrives. If you ignore AIDS, could be the death of you. So don't die of ignorance. Do you like that? How you've never been kind of headhunted to do voiceovers, I will never know. I don't know. I just kept going up like I was asking a question. <laughs> I was trying to make it feel more lighthearted. Oh, did it help? No. It's still scary. The text is a deadly disease. There's no known cure. It can be passed during sexual intercourse. It's spreading. Don't die of ignorance. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I did wonder if even my sprightly text reading would help but sadly not okay look let's take an objective look at this this is what we're going to do so we're going to look at whether the adverts did their job did they create stigma what's their legacy and who on earth thought it would be a good idea to use a tombstone and an iceberg yeah the tombstone i found more sinister you know it crashes down doesn't it and then the flowers are like thrown onto it like you're at a funeral oh yeah so let's look at the agency that created the adverts. They're called, they're still around, TBWA. I used to work for an ad agency, so I know who they are, and they have the means to sue us. So we're really mean and negative about them. Oh my God. I know. What have you got us into? Do you know what? I feel like you don't need to worry because they've already switched off by now. (laughs) It was the cat chat. They were like, this isn't, I don't don't think this is about what we think it's about, guys. It's just a lot of cat chat. (laughs) But look, we should point out, Ad agencies work to briefs, right, given to them by their customers. In this case, the customer was the government. So all they've done is taken the brief and created these adverts. And they've done other public health campaigns in the past. So they've done uh, campaigns for blood donations, Bella. So they're kind of well-placed to put this together for HIV and AIDS. Now, the designer was someone called Malcolm Gaskin. And he was interviewed handily a few years ago by The Guardian about the campaign. So that's where we've taken all his quotes from. I love The Guardian, always coming up trumps with stuff like this. So he said, look, the big problem was nobody knew anything about it. It was like an alien plague. Where did it come from? How big would it get? Panic and speculation was spreading. Norman Fowler and his team gathered a hefty bunch of people around, people from the prison service, the army, immigration and social services to discuss how to tackle it. It was agreed we'd attack the disease itself rather than the people who had it, which is how we thought other agencies might have gone about it. Now, I'm going to stop there. So let's just let's just go over what he said. I'm just very confused. 
First of all, yes, he's right. Panic and speculation was spreading. I don't think I would have called it an alien plague, though. That sounds a bit nasty. The people that they got around the table, immigration. What was going on there? And the army. I don't really understand that either. I suppose it shows the gravity of it if you've got the army involved. But I don't know how much use they'd be in giving feedback on how they think the campaign should be run. Yeah. But do you know what annoyed me the most? And it is annoyance. It's the fact that they got these people around the table and had a discussion about how to tackle this. Should they attack the disease itself or should they focus on the people who had it? Am I being too harsh? Because I think, did you have the same conversations around rubella? Did you think, should we target rubella itself or should we aim this at the children who've got rubella and make them feel really bad? Well, I've I've got a counter angle for you, okay? So I'm totally with you. That is just bananas. But do you think they looked at it like that? Because not that they are saying they're considering targeting the people, but perhaps they're considering the damage that, do you remember it was the four H's? Was it four H's? Yes. Haitians, haemophiliacs, heroin addicts and homosexuals. That's it. So that is what I'm wondering if that was what they were discussing and saying that has done nothing to stop this from spreading. And that is not the angle. I like to think it was on the table so that they could almost reject it and say, use it as a model to say, this is not the path we're going to go down. This is not helpful. Mm. Because at the time, we know a lot of people, that's what they knew. Well, that's fine because I'm not one of the four H's, so I'm all good. So it showed that's really not a helpful way. We need to just look at the virus itself. I do. Yes, I see what you're saying. Just imagine being sat around that table saying, shall we target homosexuals then? Because, you know, they've got it. Why would you target them? They know about it. They've got it. Or should we just promote AIDS in its own right? Oh, I should say, by the way, although there's no mention of any kind of gay representatives, but THT were involved with this campaign because that was my other thing initially is just like they're making decisions on behalf of people that aren't even involved in this, but they did. So I let them off the hook. I'm glad to hear that there were relevant agencies that had knowledge about it. It wasn't, like we're saying, just sort of the army and good work, THT, for being involved. So Malcolm goes on to say, nobody even knew what to call it. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome wasn't very catchy. He's from an advertising background. They always look at things like this. But then uh, they they came up with the acronym AIDS, and that was something we could work with. For the posters, we went for a modern typography. We wanted people to know this was a new thing, not just a bunch of medical letters. And we put an underscore on the word AIDS, almost like a logo. (laughs) Your eyes are getting bigger and bigger. I'm just really shocked. Is that obviously I'm not saying is that where the term AIDS came from, because I do understand that the acronym is already there. Is that where we really started using that term from, from the advertising campaign? Is that where it sort of exploded and we all know it so well? Yeah, I think it is. Oh, They've wow. made it into, like you said, like a logo. Yes, exactly. So a bit like with COVID-19, rather than saying coronavirus, everyone started saying COVID-19. Mm. It's made it into, yeah, marketing tool in a way. And then he says the phrase don't die of ignorance. That was coined by a fellow designer called David O'Connor Thompson. And they said the death part was really important. Knowledge was really the only thing we had at the time to defend ourselves against it. So all of that, you know, the bits of the, the campaign that I hate where it does focus on, on death and you're going to die. That was all intentional to grab people's attention. Well, I suppose we did look at that, didn't we, in the Lord Fowler episode where he was saying about, you know, the leaflets that were really quite direct and to the point that went through everyone's letterboxes that were to do with this whole campaign that he said it was just really important information. They had to know it. 
not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, it's, it's their job, isn't it? They're advertising people. They're looking for the font that's going to attract your attention the most. And, you know, what words can we use that will grab you and, and make you take notice of this? That's what they do, isn't it? But to hear it kind of described like that, you're like, oh, but people are dying. Imagine sitting around a table just saying, this font looks better than that font. I don't have to imagine. As you know, I used to work in this environment. I used to work for an ad agency. It's one of the reasons I left. I didn't care about fonts. <laughs> but what's your favourite font? I tell you, oh God, I can't even Helvetica. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say Comic Sans. Normally Sarah tortures me oh, Comic telling Sans me it's is Comic Sans. Font. But it's got such a bad press these days that we can't. I don't know what my favourite font is. I used to. Oh, it's like I'm having flashbacks to when I used to work for them. I remember going to a meeting. I was an account manager. I used to have to take the briefs and then brief the creative people to produce the adverts. Yeah. I went to one meeting where the client was saying they wanted um, some marketing information produced and they wanted shapes, interlocking shapes on the front of this kind of um, marketing magazine or whatever it was. And I literally said like hexagons, six-sided shapes, but not hexagons, but very similar can your designer create a new shape that's like a hexagon? You know, like locks together, like honeycomb, but not like honeycomb. I, I just remember thinking you're basically describing a hexagon, you dick. We want a hexagon, but not a hexagon. <laughs> it's like a new shape with six sides that interlocks with other shapes. Don't call it a hexagon, though. Why did they hate um, hexagons? Because it had been done before. They wanted something new and different. That's bizarre. And now I just remember going back to the creative team and saying, so they want a, they want a new shape design that's like a hexagon with six sides, but it's not. Just thinking, this is my life and I need to leave. That is madness. Okay, anyway, Malcolm continues in his interview. He says, with the TV advert, we knew we had about 40 seconds to get people's attention. Not enough time to explain anything complex. We just needed viewers to make sure they read the leaflets that would be arriving through their door. Scaring people was deliberate. So I've always said the ads are scary. That was the exact purpose of them. So they picked a director who was known for his doom and gloom kind of sci-fi aesthetic. And the adverts start with a volcano and they did that. You know, it's erupting, isn't it? They did that because they wanted to imply it's the end of the world. It's savage. Yes, it is. But originally they'd made it even scarier. So they had at the very start the sirens going off. You know, like when a nuclear war is about to start, that they had that sound on it. That is terrifying. That is one of the most terrifying noises. And I don't know if you've ever watched the film The Purge, but to signal no. the start of the <laughs> of course you haven't. Like Bridget Jones's diary, don't you? <laughs> so when they're sirening the start of the purge, it's like that so that's the noise. It's like that air raid siren. I just think that's so terrifying, that fear it would instill in you. Yeah. So that's what they originally had at the start of these adverts. That didn't make the final cut. It was felt that was over being over dramatic. And it was Margaret Thatcher that said, No, take the siren out. You you've gone too far. I'm a bit confused that they were saying it was too dramatic when they were trying to like give an impression of the end of the world. Yeah. Is it like <laughs> yeah. isn't that quite dramatic? Well, yeah, so the volcano's fine, a tombstone's fine, but yeah, adding the siren, gone too far. And to think it was her that said, no, you know, you need to tone this down a bit. Well, she didn't want it in the first place, did she, if I remember? No, she, well, no, she'd have rather have swept all of this under the carpet. Yeah. Because anything to do with uh, sex would encourage young people to experiment. <sighs> that was it. Sex. God. Yes. So, but she toned down the adverts so they're less scary. And there were a lot of kind of smaller, softer campaigns 
that uh, that had tailored messages. So um, for people like dentists to tourists, and they did that because they didn't want, you know, hairdressers, for example, shutting down because everyone's scared of, of the scissors all of a sudden. Yeah. They also came up with a postmark that the Royal Mail put on letters, uh, which they knew would be unpopular, but they felt this was the right way to go. So the postmark says, don't die of ignorance. So <laughs> imagine your nan getting your thank you letter. Thanks for my birthday present. And the envelope's got, don't die of ignorance all over it. Sure, the, the campaign didn't pass people by, but you know how sometimes things just pass you by if you don't watch TV or you don't really, or in the media. Can you imagine? Do you think you just think you're getting hate mail? You're just like, keep sending me this. <laughs> don't die of ignorance. <laughs> I know, I know. But they felt that was like the way forward. I'm going to try and Google that and see if I can find an image of it. I really want to see what that looked like. <laughs> And Malcolm always says that he knew what they were working on would be historic. So he kept a lot of the stuff, including one of the granite tombstones. He said, not the originals. The original tombstone weighed three tonnes. So when you see it fall forward in the ad yeah. and yeah. make that big noise, that's because it's so heavy. He's got a lighter one, like a backup one. And he said, oh, one day, you know, uh, I was kind of put it in my front garden. It was going to be picked up. It's been used in an exhibit. Uh, and I've left it out there for the delivery men to pick it up. His builder arrives, sees this big tombstone, jumps back, shudders because, you know, he recognises what it's associated with. And Malcolm's like, this is a great thing because it shows that even now that image can still scare people. Well, look at how angry slash upset, annoyed, scared it makes you. That's very true, actually. And if I walked into someone's garden and it was there, then it, I would be... Oh, why, would, why would it be in your garden, like next to the gnomes? Like, yes. What? I know. So there you go. That's how the campaign came about. But we always talk about the tombstone, but there was an iceberg as well. Um, but no, not as many people remember the iceberg, do they? Or they don't I don't it. remember it as much. I have seen it more because obviously we've done so much work around this. So the iceberg advert, it shows the tip of the iceberg above the water and the word AIDS on the portion that's underneath the water. Right. So... It's implying that basically what is known about AIDS is only the tip of the iceberg. Yes. It's a bit cryptic. I thought they used an iceberg because it's like chilling. It's not really chilling, is it? Is that what you thought? It's you chilly. didn't think this is just the tip of the iceberg? No, did you? Yes. Oh, no, I thought it was like, it's like chilly. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> want to make people feel really cold about yeah. this <laughs> but now i'm thinking it makes no sense why would you want people to feel cold <laughs> oh my god the tip of the iceberg no i didn't realize until i started looking into it i was like oh that's clever it's a bit cryptic for me though it's a bit far isn't it <laughs> i wonder i lasted in advertising so long you know <laughs> <laughs> to be honest i am too i am too at this point so there you go um yes that's why they used uh icebergs so let's look at whether the adverts did their job. This might put it all to all to rest for me. So we know from uh, the Lord Fowler episode, 90% of the population were more informed having watched the advert or read the leaflet. So it did raise awareness. But did it really? Did the average person on the street think the adverts were aimed at them? I'm not sure. Four to five years into the epidemic we are by this point. Everyone thinks it's a gay disease. Gay community has been raising awareness forever ever since it was first around so the ads you know they're not going to be no use to the gay community they already know about this but did it highlight it to everyone else and make them think yes this could happen to me 
Yeah, I agree with you. I don't necessarily feel that people that watched it, although they remember it and were terrified by it, do they feel that it was ever that someone was actually speaking to them? I would say no. I think people watched it and were scared, but thought, oh God, you know, but that's for somebody else. I'm just seeing this message. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And you can't, you know, I really feel for people who were living with HIV at that time. That advert comes out. I mean, it's hardly, it's just not a green light to be open about your status, is it? It's, you know, I mean, it's like HIV tombstone. Yeah, that's me constantly minutes from death. It just went end of the world, volcanoes exploding. Luckily, no air raid sirens. Old Maggie put a stop to that. But I mean, yeah, it's crazy. And then I think, you know, how do they capture how many people actually read the leaflet that went with the TV campaign? So we know 90% of people were aware of AIDS, but attitudes, attitudes definitely didn't change. And I can only say this based on um, service users that we've spoken to who contracted in the 80s rather than any firm evidence. Because I actually think with any sort of ad campaign of this size, it's quite difficult to get accurate statistics on how you've changed people's perceptions. Probably almost impossible, actually. But I know that service users at the time had a huge stigma and the adverts did nothing to soften that. It, in fact, it made it worse. Yeah. Well, it, I think it still feeds into the stigma now. I know we've mentioned it before, but, you know, how often is that the first thing people want to talk about? Mm. And I think it's also why they say, oh, it's, you know, it's not like the 80s now, though, is it? Because everyone hocks straight back to that advert. That's the first thing they think of. Yeah. Do you know there are other ways that were more effective? You know, Mark Fowler storyline in EastEnders I remember that and that was way more effective at kind of educating people that it could just happen to anybody if it can happen to Mark Fowler it can happen to me I think that's the thing isn't it I know they were trying to just get a quick message out about this is how you contract like sexual intercourse we don't want you to die so don't die of ignorance that's fine but I think the fact that there wasn't much other information in that is is that's the really unhelpful part of that that I think fed into stigma because it's mm. it's so short that you can make up any old thing that you want about it. And I'm pretty sure, like always happens, you know, you'll be chatting with your neighbour or Bob down the street or some awful newspaper that wants to write lies about things around HIV. And you're going to believe all those other things because there is no other information that's packaged along with that. I think you're right. And do you know what? If they were so successful, why were there no follow-up adverts? To kind of drive the message home. If it's making that much of a difference, I suppose they would say, well, 90% of the country knew about HIV because of the ad, so why follow it up? Well, because people were still contracting and people were still dying. And but All I'm never... doing is raising a million more questions and validating my dislike of the adverts. I'm not <laughs> giving you any answers here, am I? I think that's fine. I think it's fine to still hate them. I do wonder, again, it's just my own opinion, but I do wonder if those adverts are why we've never seen another massive campaign around HIV again is that why did they scare everyone to death that no one wants to like touch it they don't know how to you know negotiate a new one so everyone's just like no we don't need to it's very bizarre that that's the real only campaign of that size that there's ever been I know I know I agree with you do you know what I think it's fair to say yes people were more educated but there was no empathy and that's probably where they missed a trick if it had been a softer campaign to break down some of the barriers if it had been a kind of we're all in this together we've got to help each other I think that would have worked a lot better but we know that didn't suit the government narrative at the time they really did not want this on their agenda at all yeah it's it's very it's sort of fed into the whole vilifying people so actually whether they said they were going to target positive people or 
focus it on AIDS itself. Well, they've kind of done both, haven't they? Mm, you're right. I have got some stats about the effect it had on all STIs, actually. So after the campaign, the number of diagnoses of gonorrhea dropped. So in 1985, it was 50,000. Uh, 1988, it's dropped to 18,000. There was a syphilis dropped as well. Did so they just dying. scare everyone into not having sex? That's what I'm thinking. I think no one had sex between 1985 or six. Can't remember what year this came out. In the early 90s to five years, everybody was celibate. Yeah, everyone's like, nope. Is that a positive? Is that what we were going for? Just stopping people having sex? I know. And they said HIV diagnosis. Uh, there were over 3,000 in 1985. It had dropped by a third in three years. And then it stayed stable until 1999 when it rose up. Oh, what happened in 99 that made it rise up again? It's interesting. That is interesting. Mm. Was that uh, like the rise of like rave culture, do you reckon? I don't know. I'm literally just pulling no, things out. No, yeah. that was earlier. That was early 90s. I remember going to raves in the early 90s. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that was early 90s, wasn't it? That wouldn't have been. Yeah. I wonder what it was. I don't know. I don't know what happened at the end of. Well, there's a whole other podcast episode. We're going to call it What Happened in 1999. Yes. <laughs> Everyone started having unprotected sex. I don't know. So Professor George Kinghorn, he's the Director of Infectious Diseases at Sheffield Teaching Hospital, NHS Trust and a leading authority on sexually transmitted infections. And he said, in my lifetime, it's the only time that STIs have plateaued is after the AIDS adverts in the 80s. Sadly, I think what we gave them, talking about politicians, was a tick in the box. You have to do with any form of health education or promotion, we know this, is sustain that effort because you've got new generations of young people coming through. So is that what happened in the late 90s? We have a new generation becoming sexually active that weren't aware of those campaigns from the 80s. That's so true. Yeah. So that could well be it, couldn't it? Absolutely. You've scared an entire generation of people, but now there's a new one that haven't been scared and terrified by that, that advert. And like we said, there's not really been a follow up. No, there hasn't. So, I mean, our verdict, TVPS, I'm speaking on behalf of both of us. I know, <laughs> without even consulting you, so how is it going to work from now on? It's like, <laughs> yes, everyone remembers the campaign. Yes, STIs dropped. Everyone's petrified of having sex. And we're still talking about it. So in that respect, you know, everyone always references the tombstone. But if we're honest, there are no true measures of how it affected attitudes towards the gay community or actually anyone who contracted HIV. And we know from working at TVPS that stigma towards those living with HIV did not improve after 19 kind of 85, 1986. I think all the adverts did was make the general public become very fearful. And as you've said, no subsequent adverts. Where are all, the, where's the big campaign advertising you equals you? That's it. This is what we've talked about before, isn't it? It's let's, let's get the message out there more. Like we literally said this before, all the people that already understand what you equals you, well, they're not the people we need to be telling. Yes. Where's the big national campaign to share this good piece of news about HIV, to kind of dispel the fears from the original campaign. Do you know what? I don't actually think it is the adverts that really grind my gears. I think it's, well, it's the government. It's always going to be the government with me. <laughs> um, and the fact that there's no kind of follow-up. You know, they could have they could have an iceberg bobbing around in a very tranquil sea under a beautiful sunset that advertise you equals you, you know, the fear of HIV is over, long over. They could have a tombstone being smashed to tiny, tiny pieces by people living with HIV. 
quite like it. But again, I think you're going to, it's, they're so reminiscent of the original ones. Are you going to re-traumatise everybody to think about those original ones? But I like it. No, there'll be no trauma. There'll be the AIDS tombstone lying on the floor. The soundtrack from Friends will play. Happy music. <laughs> Everyone associates that with good times. People with HIV will come out with tiny hammers and start chipping away at it. You equals you. Everything's good in our world. Blah, 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 whatever else. Oh, my. Do you know what? The advertising, they're still there, aren't they? Aren't Skills they? Are aren't they just? Wow. With the, with the people with the tiny hammers. Why tiny? Just, just normal. Do they? <laughs> Chipping away at granite. God, they'd be there for years. And how many people would it take? Just, oh, <laughs> gosh. Ten days All right, later. the iceberg bobbing around, melting. It's a lovely. Well, they were in the Caribbean. Everybody who's positive is on the beach with their cocktails. Wait, wait, wait. An iceberg in the Caribbean. Also, I'm going to point out, if an iceberg is melting, surely that means it's to do with global warming and that's not a good thing. You are terrible at advertising. <laughs> All valid points. Yes. Friends music can stay there, can't it? Do you know what I think they should do? You've missed a trick. And this is from you, actually. So I might take back what I said about your rubbish advertising. Everyone absolutely loved your descriptions around HIV of like the police. That's how you understand it and understand you equals you by using the little police force and whizzing around and all of that. Things sticking to their faces while they're shouting, danger! (laughs) That is what we need. Everyone is remembering that. Well, let's wait for the public health. They're not called public health anymore, are they? They're called yeah. something else. UK Health Protection Agency or something. Phone calls will start coming in. Let's brace ourselves, softly. We really should, shouldn't we? And, every, you know, yeah. you're welcome, guys, for us coming up with the new campaign. Well, look at me jumping on board saying they're welcome. It's not even my idea. But I'm taking it, <laughs> linking myself to you like a leech. Just like. <laughs> yeah, it's been that way for many years. <laughs> you can... It's my pet name for you. I've never said it to your face. The leech. <laughs> when I come in from work, my husband's like, "How how's work? Yeah, good. How's the leech? She's good. Still there. <laughs> <laughs> Never called you the leech. Not to my face, you haven't. <laughs> no. Anyway, look, let's. We've put this to bed now. No more talk about the AIDS campaign of the eighties. It, it, it's out of my system, okay. and I think we are the people to come up with a new campaign to counteract all the fear and the stigma. So, I love thank it. you for listening. Thank you for helping me through this difficult journey, everyone. Oh, you, I, it's clearly been very cathartic for you, hasn't it? I can literally it has. see it. And now yeah. you've released it all. Oh, I bet you haven't. No, I better bring it up regularly from yeah. now on. Ever. <laughs> it's <laughs> because every time, no, look, every time we do any press about anything, we always get asked about those adverts from the 80s. We just can't escape it. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? We just get asked the same things over and over and over. Yeah, I find that quite fascinating. It's like, guys, let's get some new questions. Let's stop mentioning those. You can just explode next time, I think, or direct them to this podcast. Yeah, that's very true, actually. I can say, yeah, listen to listen to us talking about icebergs in the Caribbean. And uh, and cats. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should say, if you can get past the cats that we talk about initially, pretty good episode. Yeah, yeah. Just just whiz past that, and you'll you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. It's gonna. It is about HIV at some point. We're done. Sounded like you're breaking up with me. <laughs> it's yeah. Over. We're done. I'm oh, <laughs> gonna start seeing other people. What? <laughs> going to start interviewing for other podcasts. I was going to say pals, but that sounds weird, doesn't it? Podcast. Yes. Pals. No. No. I won't have it. Well, and then I'll see you next week. You you will. You'll never get rid of me. Remember the leech? <laughs> Stuck there. 
on my face. Oh, that's weird. Shouting danger. Yeah, that wait, that has got weird. Right, let's end the episode. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos.